All right, everybody, welcome to the Digital Cathedral this morning. Once again, it's always good to have you with me. I hope you've been following along the last several weeks. We're working our way through the book of Galatians. Then we'll be Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. We've got a, a heavy-duty assignment to share to get through four books and uh, discover what Paul is saying uh, as he writes to these churches in the various uh, cities and communities, regions, actually, that he wrote to and uh, begin to help them in their development as brand new believers. So we're in Galatians chapter 4, those first seven verses. So much truth and revelation in these first seven verses. We spent last week on the first seven verses, and I want to spend this entire session on them also. And then we're going to, uh, we're going to move through pretty quickly after that. All right, let me read this through for you. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. I'll tell you what, what we want to get done this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Now I say that the heir, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Verse 3, Even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage under uh, the elements of the world. Verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that are under the law, that we might receive the spirit of adoption. And because you are sons, and because you are sons, right? Because that's present tense, you are sons. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through through Christ. All right, I want to, what I want to do this morning is I want to take those, don't let me lose my place in Galatians chapter 4, I want to take you through the, the process. I want to trace for you the development of the child heir that we read in verse 1. We talked a little bit about the child heir last week. I want to trace that, that development all the way through the full release of a son in verse 7, the manifested son. And my goal this morning is this. By the time I'm done with this teaching, I want you to be able to mark at some, some level where you're at in this process of sonship and daughterhood. And again, as I, as I say son this morning, I want you to know that's not gender specific, it's male, female. So sometimes I say son, daughter, sometimes I forget and just say sons, but let... I always like, like the ladies to know that they're always included in everything we talk about when we say sonship, right? It's not gender specific. So I want this morning, I want you to get a glimpse, I want you to get a revelation of where you're at between the child heir and the mature son that is being released in verse 7. And it is a process. Jesus said in John chapter 1 and verse 12, he said this, he said, to as many as receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. As we, as we trace through this process this morning, and we're going to come through some very distinct stages of development, I want you to understand that He is the one that has empowered you to become. So we're not talking about uh, something that you are to achieve in your own strength or your own ability. Uh, there will be a cooperation that you give. There's always some participation. But the empowerment to become... The verse 7, the fully mature manifested son, the ability to do that is fueled by him and not by you. So there are stages of growth that we all come through to manifest fully our sonship. And most people have absolutely no clue about the process. And when you don't understand the process, it's hard to cooperate with it. So I want to lay out for you what these stages of development looks like so that you can say, okay, it looks like I'm kind of right there. And because I'm right there and God's taking me here, the Father's taking me here in my development, I can expect, I can expect some guidance and, yes, discipline from Him because He wants us to learn to uh, embrace the process. There was a... Uh, uh, a Facebook post from one of my <clears throat> good friends, Sheila Bagley, who's uh, her and her husband pastor um, God's house in Houston, Texas. And she posted something on Facebook that I wrote down because I think it is really good. She said this, she said, we can't live in our Christ identity conceptually. 
other words, you don't you just don't live live in your identity on a on a um, theoretical basis. It's not just something you talk about, or it's not just good teaching. It's not a con we don't live in it conceptually. She said, in order to experience our union with God, we have to yield to the process and daily learn to yield to the Christ that is within us. And that's what this this entire teaching is about this morning: is learning that we're this isn't just theory. This isn't just something we, we do because, you know, it's a concept that we're trying to embrace. But we're actually down in the trenches of life and we're learning to live this out on a daily basis. Because remember, the end, the end goal of the Father is the full manifestation of sons. The full manifestation of sons, and we'll talk about what that looks like, but the full manifestation of sons in a nutshell is to be as Jesus was in this present world. So wherever you're at this morning, Wherever you're living, in your development as a son, to becoming as he is in this present world, that, that, that gap is the journey that he has you on in, in development. So if you don't understand the sonship process and embrace it, you're going to grow weary as he, as he develops you. You're going to grow weary and give up as the Father deals with you. You know, anybody ever had God deal with them? You know, about your attitudes, about uh, things that you're maybe doing in life. It's not to bring condemnation. It's not to bring guilt. It's to, to enable you to grow. The Father deals with all of us. The Father, the Father disciplines us. Sonship development is about character development. It's about the development of, of patience. Patience you know what patience really is? Probably I should just give you an idea what patience is. Because he's developing patience in us. Patience is a tough thing for me sometimes. Patience is the ability to remain consistent under pressure. That's what patience is. And the only way that you develop that patience is to have opportunity to not be consistent under pressure. So what does the Father do? He brings, he brings circumstances. He allows circumstances in your life that do create that pressure. And there's, uh, and we're going to read from Scripture, there's one of three ways that you can react when the Father brings those circumstances or allows those circumstances that create pressure in your life. There's ways that you react to it. And He wants you to learn to develop to be consistent under pressure. Jesus was consistent under pressure when He was in the back of the boat during the storm and all the disciples were, were, you know, had all their coffee cans out and they were bailing water out of the boat and they're trying to save themselves and make sure that the boat didn't sink. Jesus was experiencing the same pressure as the disciples were experiencing, but the disciples and Jesus handled that pressure in different ways, right? The disciples panicked where Jesus was asleep at the back of the boat. Jesus, for 30 years, learned obedience through the things that he endured or the things that came... In, in, in opposition to him or the pressure situations I'm sure that he encountered in the first 30 years of his life to bring him to the place of full release from the Father, which is what this passage is talking about. So when the Father disciplines you, you're going to act in one of three ways. And the book of Hebrews reveals that to us. Come over, keep your finger in Galatians 4, but come over to Hebrews chapter 12, and I want to read for you how we react when the Father deals with us as with sons. And Hebrews also says this, Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you as though some strange thing is happening. In fact, he's, he goes on to say that it, you, should, you should think it's strange if you don't endure those fiery trials. So when those things erupt in life, and life happens, just because we walk in grace and believe in grace does not mean we don't have opportunities in life to not be consistent with pressure. We, those, are, those things expose to us, for our sakes, where we're at in this journey. Now watch what he says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. And I just throw that in because I think sometimes when we live in grace, we think that we live in la-la land somewhere. That we, live, that we live in some panacea and that we never are, are uh, faced with anything that would be adverse to us. 
You are faced with things that bring adversity, but the difference is the way that grace should empower you to handle the things that you do encounter in life. Are you with me? All right. Now, in Hebrews chapter 12 and, and verse 5, it says this. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. All right. My son, do not despise. And if you have your Bible, I want you to underword, underline that word despise. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Nor be discouraged. I want you to underline discouraged. When you are uh, rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges. That doesn't mean he puts sickness and disease on you, but it doesn't mean he is not opposed to disciplining you. He's not opposed to, to guiding you in a right direction. He scourges every son that he receives. Verse 7, if you endure, underline endure, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? All right, so there's, there's three responses he says, my son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. And he says, don't be discouraged when the chastening comes. But he says in verse 7, endure. So there's, there's three responses. Either you despise it, which means that you feel contempt, disdain, you loathe it, you get angry, you get upset, or you become discouraged. And when you're discouraged, you, you, you faint, you give up, you walk away, you get depressed. You throw your hands in the air and say, I, who needs this? I don't want to walk this way. Or he said the third thing is, and this is what he encouraged the reader to do. He said, endure it. Endure. That means you yield or you undergo walking out and living in obedience. And that's what the Father desires, right? So when, when he begins to deal with you, when he begins to discipline you, and we come back to our, our scripture in Galatians chapter 4, the first seven verses, as he brings you from that child heir, and he brings you into maturity as a son, that whole process, and he does it by discipline, by circumstances, by, by helping you, nurturing you, growing you. Through that whole process, don't despise it, don't be discouraged, but just submit to the process, because the father has an end game in mind. The father has an end goal in mind forth the manifestation of the sons of God in the earth. And they have, they have a, a, a specific purpose. The, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, here's, here's the purpose, and I'll, I'll just hit this and run. We're not going to stick on this. Matthew chapter 24 in verse 14, it says, In this gospel of the kingdom, be preached in all the world as a witness or as a standard in all the nations, and then the end will come. So who's gonna who's gonna do the, the ministry? Who's gonna be the standard? And the preaching of the gospel does not necessarily mean standing at a pulpit or standing somewhere and teaching a whole group of people. What it means is we're setting up a standard in the earth so that every every kingdom of the earth will uh, be judged by their ability to measure to what the kingdom standard is. And that's what the sons of God will do. The sons of God will be the ones that introduce and bring the kingdom of God and bring other kingdoms into subjection, whether it's the kingdom of entertainment or sports or the news media, whatever the kingdom is. Sons of God are going to be planted in those areas to raise up a standard and manifest as sons and bring, and bring the kingdom into those, into those dimensions. So a witness is a standard of the good news of the kingdom. And it's going to be preached, it's going to be ministered, it's going to be demonstrated in all the world, and it will be demonstrated by the sons of God. That's what Paul was driving at in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19 when he said, all of creation is standing on tiptoe expectation and they're looking for the manifestation of the sons of God. They're looking for the real deal. They're looking for those that have come through a process and can be as Jesus is in this present world. You, you, you will be the Christ that they see. You will be the Christ that demonstrates the standard, the level of the kingdom waiting on you. 
So scripture walks us through, and I'm going to walk you this morning through four distinct stages of sonship. It's a process. It's a becoming. And, you know, you, you, if you despise it or you get discouraged at the process, then you can be a follower of Jesus for 20 years and not be 20 years mature, but be one year mature 20 times over. He's not after that. He's after maturing you. Now what, you know, that's one of the things that really discouraged me as a pastor probably more than anything else was to see people that had the same problems, the same hang-ups, the same prayer needs, the same issues year after year after year. year. They were stunted in growth. They just, you know, when they would hear teaching, um, they didn't respond to it. They despised it. They became discouraged. And what, so what I'm teaching you this morning has not only helped me tremendously in my life, when I discovered these stages of development that we come through, it helped me. But it also helped me not to kill somebody. Because <laughs> I realized that some people are just not mature. They're sons, they're, they're child heirs. They're child heirs. And, and, you know, sometimes we refuse to go forward. We refuse to move on. When God disciplines us, we, we despise it. You know, we blame the devil. We scapegoat it off on somebody else. Well, you know, it's the way they treated me. I'm not going to let somebody treat me that way. Or they get discouraged. They pout. They leave. They, they just don't endure. They never allow themselves to let go of whatever it is that's holding them back. So it says... In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 8, I, I want to read this. We just read about the three ways that we respond to the discipline of the Lord. And in that eighth verse, he says this. But if you are without chastening, of which all become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not a son. So here's the deal. Here's the thing. When the Father deals with you, when the Father works with you, don't think it's strange. Because he says plainly that you will encounter this. And if you don't, the time to, to, to wonder what's going on is if you're not encountering any of that. So sometimes, you know, we look at people, we expect way more out of them in a level of sonship than what they can produce. And so we, we need to be patient, let people grow, let people, let people develop. Now, back in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child differs nothing from a slave, even though that child heir is a master. He doesn't, he doesn't operate any differently than a slave. He's an heir. The child heir. An heir is one that is entitled to property or rank. The child heir has tremendous potential. I taught you that last week when we looked at that servant-son servant principle. The child heir has tremendous potential, but he has no possession Nobody has released anything into his possession because he's a child, right? Now, that's, that's the first launch point in the Greek that signifies the beginning of sonship development. It's called the child heir. And the Greek word is napios. N-E-I-P-O-S. Napios. And I will, I'll count, in these four stages, I'll kind of use natural and spiritual development to help you see back and forth uh, what they actually look like. But a napias is, um, is one that goes from birth to about two years old. That's a napias. <clears throat> so we know that uh, a napias is one that is just awakened to truth. It's a, it's, a, it's a babe in innocence, simplicity. It's a beginner, new convert. One that is weak in the faith. They're immature. Uh, they're just starting this, this journey. They've just come in. They just had their eyes open. You know, it's that little baby that you bring home from the hospital and it grows up a little bit and it starts to walk. It, it's the infant at two years old. And there's, there's some scriptures. Let me give you a couple of scriptures where, where napios is actually used. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, it says that you should no longer be children. The word's napios. That you should no longer be infants, babies, napioses. And here's, here's one thing. Here's how napioses kind of go. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine or trickery of men in the cunning craftiness 
of deceitful plotting. So napiases are ones, you know, they're not real stable. They're just beginning. They, they hear something, they go that way. They hear this over here, and they move that direction. They're just beginning their walk. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul, Paul says, When I was a child, when I was a napias, I spoke as a child. When I was a child, a napias, I believed like a child. I acted like a child. But he said, you know, then when you come to maturity, you put away the childish things. There should be a process of growth. There should be a, a process of development. In the natural world, when you have that infant, when you have the napias, you don't, you know, a napias doesn't get a job. You don't send the napias out in the morning to go to work. They're, they're, they're just a baby. They don't have chores around the house even. They're, they have no responsibility. All a napias does in the natural is to eat, sleep, you know, and fill their diapers so that they need changing. That's all, they, that's all a napias does in the natural. In, in the spiritual realm, when somebody just has their eyes open, when they're just awakened, they're, brand, they're a brand, brand new believer. You know, it's, a, it's an entirely new world to them. I, I love napiases. Napiases come into church and they just love everybody. You know, they, they've just discovered this whole new spiritual dimension and they just <clears throat> are walked into it and they walk into the church and everything is perfect. Everything is great. They love everybody. They want to hug everybody. They have this great big smile on their face. They, you, sometimes you just want to run over and, and pinch their cheek. They just look, you know, look so cute and you just want to go, oh man, you don't know what's ahead of you. You don't know all that life is going to bring your way. You're, you're living in this this realm, this, this place, and, and it's a good place, and we just need to let them be like that. The problem is in the church, a napias can be 30 years old and be extremely talented, be great singers, be, you know, movie stars, actors. And what, what, what has happened traditionally in the church when we have these napiases come in, and they're just brand new to the faith, they're babies, they're immature, they're just feeling their way along. We have taken those that have had some notoriety. They can sing, they can act, uh, they're athletes, whatever. And we've gotten a trophy. And we've taken those babies and we have put them out and pushed them out front. And they, they weren't able to handle it. That was not their place yet of maturity. They, they, you, don't, you don't give a napias authority. You don't give them responsibility. They don't have a job. You just let them grow and develop. And there have been uh, those that we have brought in, I'm thinking this morning of like B.J. Thomas. Some of you remember when B.J. Thomas became a believer and he did some, some Christian music and we begin to pimp him around to different churches and conferences. Bob Dylan was another one, Eldridge Cleaver. There's just a, been a, a multitude of people that have, that have made a profession of faith, have come in begin to follow Christ, and we've just walked them around, and we've ruined them. We've destroyed them. And there today, they want nothing to do with the faith. And it's because we didn't let them come through that napias stage of just being fascinated with all that they've discovered. Now, you shouldn't remain an APS all of your life, right? An APS naturally grows, it develops. And, you know, it's good, it's good, nothing wrong with a six-month-old baby wearing diapers, but by the time that child is, you know, 10 years old, you don't want them wearing diapers. They should grow out of that. We should grow out of being a baby. And the next stage of development, and maybe some of you in the, in the digital cathedral, you're napiases, you're brand new, and you've just come in, you've just found this grace, this unbelievable, unconditional love of God. You know what? Enjoy that time. The Father's going to give you a lot of grace to so just enjoy it, get your feet firmly planted, get, get understanding and development. But you're going, to, you're going to grow, you're going to mature, and there's still more to discover. There's still more to learn. There's still more to the journey. And so the next stage of development is what is called a pation, P-A-I-D-I-O-N, P-A-I-D-I-O-N. And it's from somewhere around uh, two years to 12 years. You know, it's, it's, in that, it's in that young childhood stage. In John chapter 21, that word is used. Jesus used it when he was speaking to the disciples. In, in uh, John chapter 21, verse 5, 
Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They were out fishing. And they said, no, we don't. Then he said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast the net and, they, and the net became so full they, 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 had, they were hardly able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. The word that Jesus uses in that fifth, fifth verse when he says, children, have you any food? It's, it is the Greek word Padion, P-A-I-D-I-O-N. <clears throat> this is a stage where, this is a stage of development where there's tremendous growth. You know, if you if you've raised children, that between two years and twelve years old, there's just a lot of change that happens. There's there's growth spurts. You know, they grow real quick, and then all of a sudden they don't grow quite so fast. But in one summer's time, they may. The pants they wore all of a sudden now become like what we used to call floods because you would grow three inches and wear the same pants and they would, you know, the, the, it'd be too short for you because they hit a growth spurt. When we're coming through this area, when we're coming through this time, naturally, spiritually, both ways, we need discipline and oversight. It's, it's a huge stage where the parents have to let the young children learn some things for themselves. You know, they have to learn for themselves. When you tell them the stove is hot, don't touch the stove. Sometimes they have to learn that for themselves and they touch the stove. They can be, pations can be very demanding, naturally and spiritually. They want their own way. Pations get all upset if they want to eat candy before dinner and mama says no. They cry, they throw a fit. They don't like that. Patients tend to think that they know more than they do. Spiritually, spiritually patients have very little insight. And the, the church often likes to keep us right at that pation stage where we're very dependent on them. Patients, you know, that 2 to 12, they don't cook their own food. Somebody has to cook for them. I think it's interesting that Jesus said in that 21st uh, chapter of John, he said, do you have anything to eat? And they said, no, we don't. So rather than doing a miracle and giving them something to eat, giving them a fish, Jesus taught them to fish, which was a development for them. They, they were used to Jesus providing for them. And all of a sudden, Jesus told them how to do it. He didn't do it for them. And that's, that's indi indicative of what goes on during this pation stage. You help the, chi you help the child develop. But oftentimes in the church, we don't want the child to develop. We want them to be dependent on us. So we keep them there. We don't let them move beyond that. You know, spiritually, they have very little insight. And because of, of, of where they're at in their development, you find patients are very, they gravitate toward particular teachers. You know, they're always, they're always following somebody. They're always reading somebody. You know, they get, they get hung up on a particular teacher and they become glued to that teacher. That, that, that's not God's design. That's not God's plan. You should keep growing. They're great imitators. Um, they only have, they have very little bit of spiritual insight. So because there's little spiritual insight, they, they're very much driven by their soul. Now they can, they can parrot what the teacher says. They can parrot and tell you what their church believes uh, or what they read. They say that's what they believe. Or, or, this is kind of where they say my church is the best church. It is the only church. They're, they're like two little eight-year-old boys sometimes. You get a Baptist and a Catholic, you know, patians, and they're arguing about which church is right, which church is wrong. They're like two little eight-year-old boys that say, you know, my dad can whip your dad with one hand tied behind his back. Well, that never is going to happen. That's not going to transpire. The, a pation has not entered into who they are. They, they really haven't discovered their identity. They haven't grown that much yet. They're still trying to figure it out. If they hear something over and over and over, they sit in church for 10 years and hear the same thing over and over and over again, they don't question it. They just grab onto it. One thing about pations, they don't like correction. They don't like somebody telling them no. They're given to wide mood springs, swings. And this is, a, this is a, a critical period of time 
in sonship development because either you're going to grow, either you're going to move past being a pation, or you're going to get stuck at this place in the journey. And I've seen people get stuck here. And they just remain babies. They remain immature. They, they know enough to know what somebody said or what the church says or what, what the doctrine is or what they're supposed to believe, but they never move beyond that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20, I probably should read that. 2 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. There again, we're, we encounter this word pation in 2 Corinthians chapter 14. Chapter 14, we, we actually encounter both of the words that we're talking about. Watch this, 2 Corinthians chapter 14 and, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There is no 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20 says this. He says, brethren, do not be children, patiots. Don't be patiants in understanding. However, in malice, in malice, be babes. In the words, napias. Right? So he says, in understanding, he said, don't, don't be patiants in understanding. You need to grow past that. You need to, you need to catapult past that. Patiants need instruction. They need knowledge. They need understanding. Again, let me just say this. A Padian's spirit life is very undeveloped and his soul, his mind, his will, his emotions controls his life. So when, when the father disciplines, when the father chastens, the Padian often acts out of his emotions, gets upset. The Padians often despise or become discouraged usually despise when the discipline of the Father comes. They get angry. You know what? It's not my fault. I didn't do that. I'm not to blame. And in, in spiritual circles, of course, the devil is the great scapegoat. It was the devil that caused it. Like Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. A patient doesn't take responsibility, and because he doesn't take responsibility, the change doesn't occur in his life that the Father is trying to bring into his life for the development that he needs to continue to mature. All right, now this brings us to the third stage. This next, this next stage is where the fireworks happens. This is, this, this is where you now begin to move out of soulish tendencies into spirit. So we have the, the two beginning to wage war. This third stage is called a technon, T-E-K-N-O-N, technon. It is, is what we would, we would call a teenager, right? And they have every characteristic of a teenager. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm trying to give you a verse or two on, on these so that you, you begin to, to understand. In, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And the word children there is the word technon. He's speaking to people that are like teenagers. Think about a teenager is this. You look at a teenager, and you may have a, a, a boy that's 15, 16 years old, that's six foot two and weighs 210 pounds. He looks like a full-grown man. But the truth is, emotionally, he's still 15 or 16. In understanding, he's still 15 or 16. This, this, these are spiritual technots. You look at them, and they look fully mature. They look like they have developed. But spiritually, emotionally, they're not mature sons yet. They're coming through this stage. They're coming through this, this process. Now look, look, how, look how teenagers live naturally. They're very emotionally driven. Emotions tend to run their life. Teenagers can become very offended. They, they are easily uh, rejected. They have feelings of insecurity. Teenagers need constant affirmation. They need constant encouragement. Right? You want to, you want to, you have a teenager, it's a, it's a fine balance between building them up and then not letting them become ego-driven, right? So that they, there's this, there's this constant balance that has to go on. Teenagers, teenagers will challenge you in a heartbeat, brother. 
They are, they are quick to tell you what they think and give you their opinions. They don't mean anything, but they're quick to give you their opinions. Sometimes they're baseless opinions. And as a parent, you know what? Look, what you're saying, you don't know what you're talking about. But they really believe they do. And so that happens, that happens also spiritually. Let me, let me show you a couple illustrations of how, how technons act. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And just, I want to give you a couple of illustrations from the life, life of Peter. Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. And it says, And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and three days later rise again. He spoke this word openly. Watch now Peter. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned around and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, was Peter speaking from a place that, that he thought best? Absolutely. Peter was giving him his opinion. Think about this. Peter is taking God aside and rebuking him. So Jesus looked at him and said, Satan, get behind me. Did, was Peter literally Satan? Of course not. He was, Jesus was saying, you, don't, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. You mind the things of men, not the things of God. Peter thought he was minding the things of God when he spoke and trying to protect Jesus. Jesus said, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. So Peter, Peter comes on. He's got this better idea than God. Peter is a great example throughout much, much of the Gospels of how a technon reacts. I, I, I love this one. In Matthew chapter 17, Matthew chapter 17, look at this. Th this is how a technon acts. And I'm trying to give you a cross section. So some of you probably going to say, you know what? I, I have been like this. I'm living by my emotions. I've, I'm beginning to see spiritual things, but man, I'm so often pulled back to what I feel, uh, what my mind is warring against me on. Uh, my will is so strong yet that I, I, I sense I've, God is taking me and showing me, but my will wants to go its way yet. Okay, you're technonish. You're, you're at that stage of development. Some of you are back at patios or napiases. That's fine. He's giving you power to become the sons of God, the manifest, the mature sons of God. And that's what he's driving home here. In Matthew chapter 17, this is after six days, Peter, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Talking with Jesus. Now watch, here's Peter. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus. Peter answered, there wasn't nobody talking to him. Peter answered and said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And Peter just keeps speaking and speaking and speaking. And verse 5 says, And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were greatly afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. This is, this is an amazing scene. Right? I, I bet... We think about this. Jesus is being transfigured before them. All of a sudden, Elijah and Moses show up on the scene. If you were in that place, I bet my jaw would drop. I would be totally silent. I would be taking this in. I wouldn't know what to say. Not Peter, not a technon, not a teenager. They always pipe up. They always have an idea. They're not afraid to espouse something they think is awesome and great and they bring it to the table. And, and really it's out of place. I bet Jesus, I bet his face was red with embarrassment in front of Moses and Elijah. And finally the father just breaks in and says, hey guys, I want you to hear Jesus. Don't, it's not the emphasis, not on the Elijah and the prophets or Moses and the law. That's what they were there representing. It's on Jesus. 
So one, that, that's how a teenager is. Now, let me draw the, the contrast. One day Jesus says, who do the son of men say that I am? And who pipes up? Peter. And Peter nails it. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, that's amazing. No man showed you that. You got that straight from heaven. And I bet Peter stood, stood back and he had a big smile on his face. His chest was all pumped up. Then the next, next day, think about this. The next day, Peter wants to cut the ear off a soldier and tell Jesus, no, I'm not letting you go to the cross. Do you, see, do you see the vacillation that goes on there? Technons act grown up one day and they act like a patty on the next day. Mark 8, 32, we read it. He's taking God aside and rebuking him. Aren't you glad John, John recorded in John chapter 1, verse 12 that we're in this becoming process? Technons have lots of ego, lots of pride. They're selfish. And then the next day they turn around and they do something that makes you think they're an adult. That's how teenagers are. All right, here's where the Father's bringing you. Here's where the Father's taking you. He's bringing you into maturity. The fourth stage of development is a weos, H-U-I-O-S. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the weoses. Romans 8, 14. As many as are led by the Spirit. A weos is led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 19, all creation is waiting for the manifestation of the weases of God, the sons of God, the weas, the mature sons of God. A weas is the word that's used in Scripture when it references made to Jesus. I think when he was 12 uh, at the temple, there's a reference of Jesus as a child, the words technon. He was in that age group of, you know, he's coming into being a teenager. A weas lives out of spirit and not soul. During that technon development, he began to understand a little bit of spirit, but there's this battle that goes on between spirit and soul in, in spiritually in the life of a technon. When we come to weas, we're coming into a mature son, which means we live out of spirit, we don't live out of soul. A weas is subject to God, a weas assumes responsibility. A weas no longer has identity as a servant. He has identity as a son. He knows his position as a son. He denies himself. A weas is patient. His words are not his own. A weas possesses all things and yet asks nothing for himself. A weas is, is good to be around. When you're around a weas, it's kind of like you're maybe a 10-year-old and you have an older brother. You know, you just feel secure. You've got an older brother that's 18 or 19, 20 years old. You feel safe. You feel secure. You know that older brother isn't going to harm you. That's how, that's how napiases, patians, and technons feel around a weas. They like, they like to be around weas. They're a good influence. Weases aren't going to get you in trouble. They're not led by their emotions. So they're not going to move you into bad situations. You're, you're, you're drawn to the weases in the kingdom. The weases are the ones that you want to go and hang out with and have lunch with, right? Because they know what they're talking about. You sense that spiritual maturity on them. All of creation is looking for the weases. They're looking for expectation. They're not looking for napiases, pations, or technons. They're looking for weases that reflect the Father, that do the work of the Father, that have no hidden agenda, we asses are not in competition with one another. When we've got all of this kingdom competition between prophets and apostles and churches get their market share within a city, that's not, that's not being a weas. That's being very much a technon. I, th this place of sonship in maturity is the most powerful position that we can walk in the earth in. It's, a weas is walking in full confidence that the Father backs his every action. A weas can look back over his life. Check this out. A weas looks back over his life and he sees all of the dealings of the Father. He sees the chasing that he's come through. He sees the bonds, the ties, the cords that held him in days gone by that have now been severed. And he's free of them. He's just free to be himself. 
He's free to manifest. He's free to reflect the Father. And he can, he can see those emotional bondages and cords, even people that were taken out of his life because they were a drain on him. And they would never be an influence. They would never be one that had a positive charge to their life. And he's learned that the father's business is whatever his business is. If you're a school teacher, a lawyer, a real estate agent, you work in a factory, you flip burgers, it doesn't matter. The father is with you. We ask us look like this. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. We ask us just go about their daily life. They go about their activities, and wherever they go, they do the work of the Father. Jesus was being released into his ministry, into, into the walk of a weas in Luke chapter 4 and verse 17, verse 18. When Jesus walks into the temple after baptism. His baptism is his sealing of identity when the Father said, that's my beloved Son, I'm well pleased. Jesus goes to the temple, takes the book, and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me today because he has anointed me. And he lists out seven or eight things. Heal the brokenhearted, set the captives free, bring the year of jubilee, the year of restoration back to the people of God. He goes through a whole list. That's the work, that's the weas manifesting himself. You, you, under, you understand what I'm saying? That's a weas in action. He does these things. He's not looking for a pat on the back. Weases don't need attaboys. They don't need confirmation from people. They, they're not looking for that. They're not looking for you to, to always uh, establish their identity because they know what their identity is. They understand it because they know the fact is there are going to be a lot of people as as you manifest this son, as you break into new things, there's going to be a lot of people that don't approve no matter how much you pour yourself out and give yourself out. And if you have not been disciplined and trained by the Father and come through the process, you will become offended when people don't approve. When you don't get the acclamation of people, when you don't get the pats on the back, if you're not walking as a weas, if you're a napias patian technon, you're going to either despise what takes place in life, you're going to become discouraged. You won't endure. Jesus was the pattern we ask. He was humble. He served. He poured out his life. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. Demonstrated great humility. Yet, look at the confidence. He said about himself, I, I, I always do what pleases the Father. That's a, that's, a, that's a powerful statement. He said, the Father and I are one. He said, every time I pray, the Father always answers me. He didn't consider it robbery. He, was, he, he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. Think about that. And yet he was humble. Listen, here's, here's, if you got nothing else this morning, I want you to get this. We, us, as mature sons, mature sons, Understand that they are a son by position, but they're a servant by manifestation. They look like a servant, and yet within themselves they have the identity, they know that they're sons. Wherever you're at in this process, all of you that are watching this, this teaching, wherever you're at in the process, if you're a napias, that's great. Enjoy the time. If you're a pation, keep growing. If you're a technon, know that the, the soul and the spirit are, are, are having a tug of war with one another. And if you're a, a weas, that's, that's great. But wherever you're at in the process, I want you to know that faithful is the one who called you who will also bring you into complete maturity. The one who began the good work in you will be the one that finishes it. I remind you back what we read in John 1.12. To as many as receive him. To as, to as many as acknowledge who they are. That yeah, I'm a son. To those God gives the power to become the weasis of God. Let's cooperate with the process. I, 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 I'm done this morning. I think I've gotten about as far as I want to go. 
Let's cooperate with the process. Let's be willing to manifest at whatever stage of development we are, knowing that the one who began it will finish it. He's empowering us to continue to go forward. All right, that finishes up Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Next week, I want to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 19, right? So we'll see you back next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. And I just pray right now that everything we spoke this morning, everything that came out would be revelation, would, would, would settle deep into your spirit, and that God would take every word that we talked about this morning and quicken it, and that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know what the hope of the calling that you have in Christ Jesus really is. And that as he brings you along the process, you begin to manifest as a we awesome, a mature son of God. God bless you guys. Love all of you. Thank you for watching from wherever you're at. And we'll see you next Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. I want to take just a minute and thank all of you for being part of the Digital Cathedral and to just request your help in a couple of areas. There's two or three things that you can help us do to put this message around the world. First of all, if you have enjoyed the message, I'd like for you to go down on the YouTube and make a comment. Make a good affirmative comment because many people go down and read the comments before they watch the video to get an idea if it's favored or not favored. Second thing is you can share it on Facebook. Make sure that you hit us real strong on social media. Third thing is you can, you can do to help us is to become a monthly partner in support of what we're doing to keep this gospel of grace going around the world. This year in 2020, there's several things that I would like to get done, but it requires some finances. I'd like to expand the ministry. I'd like for us to become more effective in our marketing and in our production of what we're doing. So you can help us become a monthly partner, share on Facebook, and make good comments on YouTube. Thank you so much for being part of the Digital Cathedral. I bless all of you from around the world and hope that this message today, as well as every week, is a blessing to you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.